0: So Money Episode 641, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host, Alicia Schiller.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money.
0: Welcome to So Money, everyone. It is Friday, October 20th, 2017. Welcome to the show. What's going on? It's a a very crazy week for me. I've been doing some speaking this week. I had a, a retreat. I'm in a mastermind. You know what that is? anyone here on a mastermind, raise your hand. It's a pretty cool way to network and get stuff done. This is uh, something that I recommend all of us try to do in our professional lives is to find people that are go-getters and really create a structure around meeting up. Maybe that's once a month at someone's home or once a month at a restaurant or a coffee shop. You set an agenda, you catch up, You share resources, you do hot seats, what's on your mind, what problems do you have? And you know, groups anywhere from three to five people. I think this is a really smart way to. Expand your network and tap into resources and leverage your friends and your, and your colleagues in a way that's not awkward. So you're not like going to networking events or, you know, asking someone that you don't even know to help you connect you to someone that you don't even know. This is a a much better way for someone to get to know you and and to really feel like they want to vouch for you. So masterminds, that's where. I've been for the last two days. Uh, we had sort of an intensive this week. It's been really productive and really good. That's just my little so money moment of the week. Today, we've got a special co-host, and as always, it's a listener who's been listening to the show initially uh, as she was commuting to to her job, which was taking almost two hours each way. Happy to report she's no longer doing this commute, but I want to learn more about this faithful listener of ours. Her name is Alicia Schiller.
1: Alicia, welcome to the show. Hi, Farnoosh. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Thank you for being here all the way from Connecticut, not too far Not, not so
1: far. I guess with traffic though, it can be (laughs) a bit of a bear.
0: It can be. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to a financial podcast.
1: Sure. So I'm 33 and like you said, I live in Connecticut, um, in Norwalk, which is a town on the Long Island, um, on the Long Island Sound. Um, I work full time in Connecticut at a financial technology firm where I do e-learning development. And I also run a side hustle as a independent career advisor. Um, I guess what brought me to a financial podcast, actually yours was one of the first ones that I started listening to all those years ago. And it just sort of struck something in me and realizing how important it is to know what's going on with your money, to really make the most of it, and to plan for your future. So I've been digging into it ever since then and trying to learn as much as I can. So it's it's a dream come true to be here with you Aww, today.
0: A dream come true. I hope you have bigger dreams mm-hmm. than this.
1: I have some, but this is a pretty big this one. This is a
0: pretty big one. Tell us how you <laughs> have um, implemented some of the advice on the show into your life. and Tell us like what are some of the goals you've been hitting or been trying to hit.
1: Well, I know you always talk about how important it is for women to make more, and I think I learned about several people on the podcast who have started five hustles and I don't know that my five hustle will turn into a full-time career for me but it is something that started because I love the work and I really enjoy doing what I do but it's nice to have this sort of additional income stream and be able to divers- diversify where my money is coming in from and really build a more secure future.
0: In what ways are you diversifying? Did you have loans? Did you are you putting it more towards retirement, a home?
1: Trying to right now, our main goal is to really bolster our emergency savings. We bought a home about a year and a half ago, um, and since then, have paid off a car loan and and bought a new car with cash. So we're at that point now where we really want to sock away as much as we can in that emergency savings um, because buying a home comes with a lot of other expenses as well and unexpected repairs. And so that's been our main goal at this point. Um, in addition to making sure that with the, with my full-time work, I do have enough that I'm setting aside for retirement.
0: Yes. Well, I love that you're a homeowner. I am too. Our first question Mm -hmm. is from Ashley. She's only 23, but she's interested in buying a house and she lives in Chicago, which I believe is a A little bit more of a better first-time buyer market than maybe New York City, but it's still expensive. You know, Chicago Uh is a big city, but here's her situation. Okay. So she's 23. She makes $75,000 a year. She has $28,000 saved. Way to go, Ashley. So now Uh she wants to buy a condo in Chicago. Her budget is $150,000. She has 20% to put down. And so she wants to know, is this a good investment? Okay, I hate the word investment when it comes to real estate. Although I totally get it, I, I probably use it more than I should. It's I just think that it is not a safe mindset to to have when you're thinking about real estate, unless this is like a second property or a specifically a, a rental property that you're looking at to make capital and, and be cash flow positive, renting it out. That's a that is an investment. But if this is your first home that you're going to live in, it's maybe a starter home. Ideally, yes, you go around and you sell it in five years and 10 years at a profit, but I think that most important is that you're approaching this purchase with the mindset that this is going to be affordable and that this is going to be a smart move. And what does smart mean? It means that compared to maybe paying rent, you will be uh, saving a little bit of money month to month based on how much the mortgage is plus all the other costs. Mm that uh you might be getting more bang for your buck, that you might be able to live in a neighborhood that's safer, better, that you may be able to, yeah, in five or ten years run the numbers and do the projections, see what historical gains have been. May you know if you do hold on to it for a while, is the neighborhood on the up and up? Is it appreciating? You may be able to develop a little bit of a, an equity in the in the home or a little bit of a nest egg, um, but it sounds like financially she is set to be able to budget for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I think a bank may give you a bigger pre approval. They may say you could buy as much as two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars, as banks do. Sometimes they take your salary and they multiply it by like three or four, uh, but which I think is very aggressive. But I think in this case, your budget is twice your annual income. You've got a lot of savings. And I think that that's a conservative approach. What do you think, Alicia? you think she's like in a good zone?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think this is really impressive. I don't I definitely didn't have this much money saved when I was twenty three I know um,
0: I was in debt. I was in a lot of debt twenty three yeah.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say I would also add um she mentions she has this twenty eight thousand dollars saved, but I would want to know. It, does she have additional money on top of that for the down payment, or is, or is she planning to drain her savings for the down payment? I would just want to make sure that she does have some additional funds set aside for unexpected expenses and emergencies and that sort of thing
0: yeah, exactly, and also the closing costs there are a lot uh-huh. of you know there are a lot of upfront costs to buying a home uh, one is your uh, obviously the down payment. And then there's the closing costs, which can be anywhere from two to 5% of the sale price. So Ashley, just make sure that you have more than enough. That if $28,000 is all that you have saved, that you either need to reduce your budget to something more like, I don't know, $100,000 in order to still put down the 20% and then have some extra leftover for closing costs, or continue to save. Use the rest of the year the next 3 months uh to save you know the, the last 3 months of the year are not the hottest buying months of the year <laughs> so i feel like property could sit on the market for an, a, a longer than average time if you're not ready to buy now and you've seen like you have found your you know your ideal place uh it, it's okay to maybe wait a little bit longer if that if that does mean that you'll be able to be more financially secure Um, So good luck, Ashley, and let us know how it goes. I always want to know the other side of the question, which is, you know, did the advice help? What happened? Did you get the place? Send us pictures. All right, Alicia, the next question is from Jolene. I'll have you read it off and tell us what's on her money mind.
1: Okay. So Jolene wants to help her parents who have never invested for retirement. She's 31 and they're 67 and 74. They currently have about $80,000 in cash that they keep handy And while they're getting by for now, Joan's concern is that they don't have enough should they need long-term care. So they don't have long-term care insurance, and neither of them has a will. And she wants to know where should she start helping them.
0: All right. This is such an important question, and I think there's probably many people on the phone who are either in the same situation or nearing this situation or they're in it and they don't, st- they, they don't know where to start. And it's, it's a reality that we have an aging population. I read the other day a statistic that was really sobering, which is that most people approaching retirement have very little, if anything, saved for retirement. And I'm talking about people who are in their baby boomer, I guess the the baby boomers who are like about to retire now, um, they, they don't have much. And that could have been a result of the financial crisis that, you know, really cut off a lot of people's savings and investments and the equity in their homes that they were hoping to bank on, or they just didn't save. In this case, Jolene's parents just never really, uh, never made that a priority. And so it's great. I think that they have this daughter, Jolene, who wants to help. And I think the first step, Jolene, is to, if you haven't yet, to start this conversation with your parents and get informed um, so that you really know what are the real numbers. What is the reality? What's the value of the home? If they had to basically retire today um, and using all the assets and the and the money that they had available to them. What is that? What are their social security payments? What is are they getting any pensions? Um she says here that there's some background that her mom works part-time in food service and her dad does collect a small pension. They own a rental property that brings in some income and both the rental home and the one they live in is paid off. So that's really comforting. I think that uh, I think is better than nothing, right? Right. It's better than like they have a mortgage and um, they, they're unemployed and they don't have any pensions coming in. That's actually, I think, a good sign that they can at least keep status quo for a while. But as she ac- smartly brings up, one of the biggest wild cards in your retirement is your health. Am I going to have a quality life for many years? Will I get sick and what will that cost? Will I need assistance? Truthfully, at 67 and 74, buying long-term care now is either going to be ridiculously expensive or they won't even qualify because uh, the insurance companies don't want to take on the risk of say insuring a 74-year-old who is at a much higher risk of getting sick and needing the assistance of long-term care than someone who say in their 50s um, was going to be paying into it for many years, decades, perhaps until they, if they need it. So, I would say, Jolene, the most important thing you can do, and at this stage, is to really just uh, bring yourself to your parents. Say, "I want to help you." I know that this can be. Uncomfortable or you may not think that I, as your daughter, should have to worry about these things, but I really want to be here for you. And um, start with asking them, what do you want in your retirement? What would, if, you know, if you had to retire tomorrow and let's say, God forbid, one of you did get sick, what's the plan? Create these scenarios for them so that they can start to really think about you know, what would be their plan B? What would be their contingency plan? Would they sell the rental property? Would they sell their home and downsize? At the very least, if there's stuff lying around the house, Alicia, what do you think? They should start selling it, right? Have big yard sales.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think anything you could be doing at this point to bring in a little bit of extra income, Um, like you said, selling things. Um, I know her mom is working part-time. If she can increase her hours just a little bit, Um, for now. And um, I think the other thing that I would add is that it's sort of like the the oxygen mask falling from the airplane. You make sure you put yours on first. I would really want to make sure that Jolene has herself in in a financially stable position so that if she does need to support them a little bit more down the line, she's able to do that.
0: That's so important. You brought up the most important point. Yes, that she should make sure that she has savings, that she has reduced her debt or has erased it, or is on a path to do that. Because yeah, I mean, you know, 67 and 74 is not old. We're living longer these days, and hopefully her parents are in good health. But there may be a day, 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, that they'll really need her help financially, or just her assistance wise, you know, um, since they're not going to necessarily qualify for long-term healthcare, I think, um, it's going to cost a lot of money to go into nursing care or bring in someone to the home full-time or even part-time. So it may fall on Jolene to, uh, hopefully if she can, you know, spend the time with her family to support them. Um, or maybe they move in with you or you move in with them temporarily. I mean, this is the stuff that people have to really weigh. And, most important is that you are financially checked, uh, that you have your ducks in a row, that, you know, if you do give them money, that you don't feel like it's going to compromise your financial life. And if you, if it helps, start putting aside money now just for this purpose. I do that, believe it or not, because I'm totally conservative mm-hmm. and, and my parents are in good health right now, but I, they have helped me so much in my life that I would feel terrible if, they needed me and I was not in the situation to be able to do so comfortably and readily. Um, so at the very least, I'm putting aside a little bit of money, you know, just so that I know that I can, you know, immediately help them if they need it. I don't think they will. Hopefully they won't. But it's, you know, uh, one of those things where it helps you sleep better at night. Um, all right. Nicole has a question. Give it to us, Alicia. Something about okay. saving and investing and budgeting.
1: Yes, and it's a personal question. She wants to know how you personally oh. invest in budget. Um, <laughs> if you could share percentages in any preferred platforms you recommend and if there are ones that you've discontinued using.
0: All right. So I actually did a really I, – I did this podcast, Of, of oh, I guess it was a couple of months ago, on Listen Money Matters where I talked all about how I spend and save. It was a lot about how I spend. So I would encourage you to go and listen to that. Um, And I also got interviewed on So Money by a friend, uh, the host of Stacking Benjamins, who interviewed me way back in the day. So if you go to somoneypodcast.com and you type in Stacking Benjamins, because he was the host, Joe from Stacking Benjamins, he interviewed me on So Money. So I gave a lot of my own advice and tips. But just to recap briefly, I do a lot of the boring stuff first. I save first. I invest first. I put money in the retirement accounts, the mortgage, the insurances, the kids' college accounts. I do all the sort of, you know, long-term or and or boring stuff. I call them boring stuff because it's not like very thrilling to, you know, pay off your car insurance or pay your car insurance, but you need it, right? It's all the necessities. So it's the needs first which we hear about all the time in Finance 101. And then with whatever's left in my checking account, I know that I can spend that without guilt and without regret, and assuredly. So that's kind of how I do it. And I keep it all kind of in my head. I have I use QuickBooks for my business budgeting and my business, the cash flow. I have a great bookkeeper who helps me organize all of that. I have an, an accountant. That tells me how much I have to pay quarterly in my taxes because I am self-employed. I do that. And I assume that from every paycheck that I make, which is inconsistent, I make money like some weeks I make a lot of money, some weeks I make no money, some months I make no money, some some months I make more. all the money for the year. <laughs> it's just, you know, I've gotten used to it because I've been doing this for so long and I have a cash uh, reserve to help with some of the gaps in, in income. But it's really about having a good team, tapping into these resources like QuickBooks. I also use Mint for my personal finances. And this way I check it all the time. I also check my own bank account individually, my credit card account individually every day, because sometimes when you go on Mint, although it updates it like within a snap, um, I just like to also go in and just verify that everything is apples to apples. And... That's how I do it. I mean, I don't know. What else did I leave out? Percentages. Oh, yeah. As I was saying, for every paycheck that I make, I assume that 40% of it is not mine. Actually, 50%. Because between paying my agent and paying the IRS, um, it's about half that has to go to uh, someone else, other people besides me. So I have gotten to see money in a different way. The paychecks that I get, I usually just take off you know, 50% and that's in my mind how much that I have to bank. Things that I've discontinued using, honestly, uh, nothing. I, I've never really signed up for a lot of things. I've really much stuck with Mint and QuickBooks. And uh, I although I've had a ton of cool technology founders, FinTech founders on the show, and I recommend their products, things like Digit, and Acorns for people who want to invest on-the-go, Digit's that lets you save on-the-go, and it's uh, nominal and easy and automatic, and it's great. For people who have a hard time saving even just a little bit, Digit is a wonderful solution. Alicia, what do you use, and what are, if you mind sharing maybe some of your personal financial management with us, what is, what, how does that look?
1: Sure. Um, I'd say it, it sounds pretty similar in terms of making sure that the savings and the retirement are – the first priorities and obviously taxes, which just gets taken out, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, in terms of tracking and, and budgeting, we're pretty strict about that. We keep a budget on it's everydollar.com. It's actually Dave Ramsey's website. And the reason I like it is because it's pretty bare bones. It's really it's a manual process. I have to go through the exercise of typing in all of my expenses. And I really like that because I like having the control and ownership of making sure that I sit down a couple of times a week and and categorize things appropriately. And it it helps me to stay on top of things. I know that Mint and other sites make the process a little bit more um, automatic for you. And they they help you to categorize things. But I like to be able to to have that control. So that's been really helpful. Um, But I have just even used a spreadsheet in the past just to track all of our expenses and our spending and make sure that we're sticking to a budget.
0: Spreadsheets don't lie. I, mean, and I I love spreadsheets. I used to use them in the early days when I was living in New York City uh, as a young singleton. I would use budgets, uh, Excel spreadsheets all the time. And um, it was important, I felt, for me to type in the numbers as opposed to just have them automatically uh, register. Because for some reason, it just made me really understand and know what I was spending. And uh, I think when you're first starting to budget, that's very helpful because it, you need that. You need that relationship with money to get strong Mm -hmm. and to really feel the sometimes the pain of ah, just how much you're spending on the stuff that you probably don't need to be spending on. And that's how you make those realizations is when you really go pen to paper or, you know, uh, keypad to Excel spreadsheet.
1: Right. And I will say that there's been more than one time that I haven't bought something because I didn't want to have to go type it in later.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You become accountable to yourself and to, that ex- and to that spreadsheet. And when you see it, that can be uh, a little difficult to, to, to stomach. Okay. So we have a question here from Michael. How do I move out of my parents' house if they are dependent on my $1,400 contribution to the $3,400 a month mortgage? I net around $3,500 a month. So I've never gotten this kind of a question. I mean, we hear often where the adult children live with the parents. Sometimes, a lot of times, rent free. I encourage parents to charge some rent, but because I really want the kids to appreciate Uh, the fact that they're able to, you know, have this relatively affordable housing and also encourage them to move out one day because, you know, (laughs) like living with your parents is one thing, but then paying to live with your parents is like, seriously? So this sounds like, though, that his parents really are dependent on his contributions. So that's a a hard thing to break up. Any advice?
1: Well, I mean, I hate to say, I don't know if if all of their children are, adult age at this point, but it might be time for them to downsize. It sounds like it's a pretty significant mortgage and if they're really relying on his rent for that in order to be able to pay that um, when he doesn't need to be living at home, it might be time to, to downsize. Yeah. I'm sure.
0: It's, it's not an easy answer, but this could be the way that their parents get the wake-up call. If this is really something that they are dependent on, then either they need to downsize the house, which is a it's it's a lot of effort to do that. It's not going to happen overnight. In the meantime, they may need to just look at ways to cut costs in other ways. And if there is a way for you to still help them out, if that's something that you feel comfortable doing and want to do, maybe, you know, even though you're not living there, you could still help them out, you know, because there are parents. And I, I firmly believe that if, if my parents came to me, and needing financial help. It's serious. They don't do this ever. And so it's probably really serious. And if I'm in a position to be able to help them, then I would. And so if this is something that is really going to hurt your family in the short run, you moving out, them trying to scramble to figure out how to make this mortgage, maybe you help them a little bit, not to pay the $1,400 a month, but a few hundred dollars a month in exchange for you know going over there and eating out of their fridge from time to time. Um, but if you have siblings, then maybe this is time to have a family meeting, you know, and talk about the home, the family home and, and what we should be doing about it because it's not financially affordable at this point if if it's just mom and dad living there. I don't know how... They feel about Airbnb it? <laughs> That's a very uh, uh I feel like the older generation may not be as quick to Airbnb their spare rooms out, but hey, it's it's what people are doing and how they're supplementing their mortgages. So, uh it, it's working for other people. It might work for your family. It may not, but something to also to bring up. Have you ever done Airbnb, Alicia?
1: I haven't. Um I I understand the value of it, but We don't have a ton of space, (laughs) and it would just be a little bit close quarters, I think, with a stranger. Yeah,
0: I have been a uh, a lodger at an Airbnb. I've checked into Airbnbs in Paris, um, had great experiences. I think that if we had the kind of place where, you know, we could offer our a spare bedroom to somebody who would have their own entrance or we would go away for the weekend and they could stay here. Um, We would be open to it. I don't think our building allows it actually. We're in New York, so the laws here are a little tricky, circumnavigating Airbnb, but I fully support it when people can make a way to supplement their mortgages from it. Last but not least, we have a question from Melissa. She I think has gotten some bad advice. I will just mm-hmm. say it. Um, she met with a financial planner, Alicia, and he strongly recommended that she get whole life insurance. That's the type of life insurance that has cash value, and it's permanent. And she wanted he, this person encouraged her to do so to save money as a quote unquote safe way to save money. P.S. She's twenty nine has no kids and is in good health. Oh my gosh. I I don't want to say you're getting robbed here. You haven't gotten robbed yet, but I do think this is a bad idea. I think that what he forgot or she forgot to tell you was that while yes, the cash value is guaranteed and while that may be quote unquote safe to sa- as a way to save, it's dang expensive people who tap into whole life people who apply for whole life insurance who get qualified who then start making these very big premiums payments every month when they lose a job or when cash gets tight this is like the first thing that they forfeit and you don't get all that all that money back like all the money that you put into it if you miss a payment you're done you're out and that's a very expensive regret that a lot of people have is is tapping into whole life insurance you're 29 you have no dependents and you're in good health so i mean i don't i don't even know if you should get term life insurance at this point uh frankly the, the people who are best positioned to apply for life insurance in general i think are people who have dependents Uh, People who have children, who have maybe parents that they're supporting, anyone that you're financially supporting who may be at risk because you die and you haven't had any savings, you have debt, and now these people need to still go to college or your family still needs to pay their mortgage and you've been supporting them. That's when life insurance is imperative. Um, But if you're 29 and you don't have any dependents and you're healthy and there's no sign of you getting sick or anything like that, I mean, I think you can still wait on the life insurance portion of your financial planning and certainly no need to get cash value life insurance because I'm pretty sure that's going to be very expensive and not really necessary. It may become something that you consider later in life, depending on how your life, uh, where your life takes you. But right now I don't see a need. I don't have enough information to really see as this being vital. And you're in the financial sector Alicia, I don't know if you have any run-ins with this kind of stuff, but what do you? what's your take on
1: this? Well, this was me about seven years ago or so. We uh, met with a, a insurance salesperson who came to our house and told us all about how amazing of an investment whole life insurance was. And we did go for it. And a few years later, after actually doing some research and, and learning more about it, realized it was a terrible investment and ended up surrendering and and losing all of that, that money we had put into it. Um, But yeah, it has terrible returns. And as far as I know, your heirs don't even get the cash value after you pass away. It just goes right back to the life insurance company. So I think it's, it's terrible. And I'm wondering actually if this financial planner is actually an insurance salesperson.
0: Right. And regardless of their title, if they are giving you retirement advice, which is not really what life insurance is, Uh, Although a lot of people, in this case, the whole life insurance, you know, I think he's positioning it as like a way to plan your retirement because this is like savings that you could tap into later on down the road. He absolutely needs to be disclosing or she, I'm assuming it's a he, I'm so sexist. I'm assuming.
1: He he strongly recommended.
0: Oh, she she did say he. Okay. So it wasn't just in my head. Um, He should tell you how much money he is positioned to make off of this transaction. I'm pretty sure he's going to get a commission. And, okay. you know, that's not to say that it's not trustworthy advice, but it's suspect. And so I would talk to some other people. I would talk to a certified financial planner who is a fiduciary and get their opinion. And there are many out there who will have a first consultation with you for free. So do that and let me know if I was right. <laughs> I'd love to know. But stay away from this for now. I don't think you need it. Alicia, thank you so much. Alicia Schiller, thank you for giving us so much great advice, for listening to the show, and for being a financial role model. We love you.
1: Thank you, Fernie. I had a lot of fun. You want to do some more questions we can
0: keep going oh i would love to i'll have to have <laughs> you come back we, d- we definitely have enough questions but I, now i gotta go off to another I know. i'm kidding off to another errand, but i would love to continue talking with you you're fabulous stay around stick around and until next time everyone else i hope your weekend is so money